Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today's episode is about fortitude. I'm speaking about this because so many people have been terrorized by evildoers for the past couple of years. Fear is worse than unfortunate. Fear is wrong. How much more wrong it is to seek to instill fear in others. And worse yet, to seek to instill fear in others for the purpose of manipulating them into behaving according to tyrannical mandates rather than behaving with free will within the perfect plan of our Creator. So this is a vital and timely topic. I hope listeners may gain something from the observations I share in this episode. My brother and I just watched the latest James Bond movie, and we both really enjoyed it. The character that Ian Fleming created in the previous century has many traits, and not all of them may be admirable, but one of his best traits is fortitude, and that is very admirable indeed. The latest on-screen incarnation of that Fleming character was portrayed by Daniel Craig, and his series of five movies was unique among the 25 official James Bond movies because they were serialized. The events of each movie had lasting impact and built to a concluded overall story arc. It's similar, for example, to Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. There have been plenty of on-screen portrayals of Batman, but the three movies directed by Christopher Nolan told a complete, singular story from start to finish. James Bond's fortitude is typically manifest on screen in wild action sequences with amazing stunts. That's one of the principal appeals or that series of movies, and an explanation for how the series has persisted for six decades. But of course, there is much more to fortitude than engaging in dangerous actions. For most, it's enough of a demonstration of fortitude to merely overcome the natural shortcoming that leads to refraining from doing what we should do just because we're influenced by fear. And when my brother and I walked out of the theater following the latest Bond movie, I told him my favorite part was when a character in the movie read aloud from a book. He agreed that was a powerful moment. In case it seems odd that such a simple scene should be the best one in a huge action movie that cost $250 million to make, I'm going to share the quote from the book and highlight the theme of the entire Daniel Craig series of 007 movies. The quote was from author Jack London and says this, The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. To which I say, Amen. Now, I lack the lyrical wordcraft of Jack London, but I've been saying during the past year and a half, it makes no sense to try to save lives by forbidding people from living their lives. Live. Live until you die. There's another huge action movie coming out this month, and it's also based on a series of books from the previous century. Those books, by author Frank Herbert, began with one called Dune. In that book, there is a litany against fear, which is often repeated. It says, I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. Where the fear has gone, 
there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Now, like so many great sayings in literature, some of the roots of this one can be traced to William Shakespeare. In his Julius Caesar, he said, quote, A coward dies a thousand times before his death, but the valiant taste of death but once. It seems to me most strange that men should fear, seeing that death, a necessary end, will come when it will come, unquote. Now, as the Lord Jesus observed, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And speaking of the Lord, it is instructive that God tells us explicitly in his word to not fear. And he tells us that over and over and over 365 times. You think there are any coincidences with the creator of the universe? Of course not. He gave us a specific admonishment for every single day of each year. It must be kind of important. The admonishment from God is, do not fear. Do you know the best way to describe fear? I think it's this. Fear is the act of telling God, I don't trust you. Obviously, then, fear is worse than unfortunate. It's sinful. But Clay, you say, surely it's only natural to fear. Yes, it is only natural to fear. We do have that tendency. And yes, there are frightful things we will face. Understand the difference between wrongful actions we do for which we are penitent and from which we always seek to immediately repent and wrongful actions we do that we also indulge and persist in doing. Things will frighten you. Your call is not to indulge that fear, but to put it aside and trust God. The best resource, of course, to explore these principles that we should put aside fear is God's word of the Bible. So we're going to examine some examples from Genesis, Exodus, the Psalms and Proverbs, and of course, from the Lord Jesus himself. Starting in Genesis, we find a great example of God counseling all of us to not fear worldly problems. This example involves the father of the ancient church, Abraham. This comes from Genesis chapter 15, while he was still known as Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. So shall your descendants be. Then Abram believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now in this example, we see that Abram's worries were very practical and very realistically based. He had no son. He had no heir. So any promise of a great legacy of offspring was naturally impossible. But God specializes in impossible, and with God, truly, nothing is impossible. Note also that the antidote to Abram's fear was believing God. That was so incredibly important that it gets quoted and referenced in the New Testament. Abram believed in the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you believe in God, truly? 
Do you know that God loves you and wants the best for you and wants eternal relationship with you? I hope you do. Later, God carried the same covenant and promise to Abraham's son, Isaac. And by the way, do read the story of Abraham and how it came to be that he and Sarah had their son, Isaac. It's vital history and inspiration for all of us. Here's the passage from the Bible. Then Isaac went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Now let's look at the account of how God delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh had tormented the Israelites, and even after he finally accepted the reality that he must let them go, he still intended to kill them. He sent his army after them as the Israelites were encamped near the Dead Sea. So the Israelites were completely trapped, and they faced certain death. Beginning in Exodus, But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting against Egypt and for them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. So listeners, when God tells you, do not fear, then do not fear. Whatever frightful circumstance you're facing cannot compare to being trapped between the sea and a powerful army sent to murder you. 
God is always in control. So trust him. If you indulge your fear of worldly concerns, then you are refusing to trust God. Now let's look at King David and his son Solomon. David was known as a man after God's own heart, and Solomon was known as the wisest mortal man to ever live. Surely we can learn something from them. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David gives counsel and instruction to Solomon. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. And David said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. And that's wise counsel, and not only for the wisest man ever, but also for us today. I hope that you heed it. Now let's consider another famous way David shared similar counsel with all of us. David, before he was king, was hunted by the man who was king at that time, Saul. King Saul sought to murder David, and David had to hide constantly and guard his own young life from the most powerful person in the world at that time. It would make sense for those earthly circumstances to be considered frightening. But you know well what David said. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now when David said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he wasn't being dramatic, and he wasn't exaggerating. The most powerful man in the world was hunting him down with the intent to murder him. But David said, I will fear no evil. Can you join David in saying that in the face of whatever frightening earthly circumstances might be vexing you? I mentioned that David's son Solomon was considered the wisest man ever. He wrote a book of wisdom called Proverbs. And here's an excerpt from the 10th chapter of Proverbs. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Now later, the Lord sent prophets to give counsel to the people regarding what was to come, and one of the most prolific of those prophets was Isaiah. Here's a couple of observations from the prophet Isaiah in chapters 35 and 51. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, 
nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Now, as you hear God speak directly to all of us through the prophet Isaiah, do you envision, as I do, the current phenomenon politely called cancel culture? It's the reproach of man, which God specifically tells us to not fear. God specifically tells us to not be dismayed by the way the worldly and ungodly revile and hate us. God specifically reminds us that those evil men are just food for moths and worms. If you've given yourself completely to the Lord Jesus, your eternal destiny is life with God. Claim that promise and stop letting men dismay you or cause you fear. And speaking of the Lord Jesus, of course, his is the ultimate voice to whom we should listen. And he said some powerful things on this topic. Matthew chapter 10 documents one such bit of instruction. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who will speak, it is the Spirit of your Father who will speak in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. A disciple is not above his teacher. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. Now, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of the household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear you are far more valuable than many sparrows. Now, listeners, there's obviously a lot in those words of Jesus that we could dig into deeply. In case anyone may be confused, I'll just comment on a few things. Jesus told his disciples to beware men, but not to worry and not to fear. If you see any inconsistency in that, I encourage you to think about it until it's clear. Beware of men means recognize that worldly men will try to do horrible things. And we should be aware of what they are up to, but we should not fear them. But Jesus does say to fear God. I hope you understand there is no inconsistency in that either. God's ways are not our ways. God is always 100% good and perfect and holy. Humans are not. Finally, when Jesus mentioned how worldly men had called the head of the house Beelzebub, so we should expect that they'll do much worse to the members of the household, 
in that statement, Jesus is the head of the household and we, his followers, are the members. Jesus was warning his disciples that people would hate them and us and they will hate us because we love Jesus. Now I'm going to insert one observation of the Apostle Paul, then conclude this episode with the words of Jesus from the Gospel of John. I mentioned earlier that to indulge fear is to tell God you don't trust him. Here's how Paul said it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a great promise, and it comes with that admonition about anxiety or fear. God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you believe that, and you trust God in that, then you will not fear or be anxious. If you do indulge anxiety and fear, seek instead God's peace, because otherwise you're clearly telling God you don't trust him. Now I will conclude this episode about fortitude with words from Jesus from the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father, abiding in me, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and even greater works he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our house with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.